Now today we're on part two of this special sermon series called Expanding Circles. And if you weren't able to join with us last week, or if you didn't see any of the promotional materials that we put out, that this is kind of a joint effort that's going on between three churches in the north, between ourselves at Parkland Pentecostal Church in Marathon, Ontario, uh, with North Shore Church and Pastor Gary in Terrace Bay, and with LifeSpring Church and Pastor Meredith in Sault Ste. Marie. And this is, this is something that has been on our hearts for a little while, to do something like this and to take advantage of this digital medium and, and go beyond just our own individual walls, especially now at a time when we're meeting outside the church, that we're streaming online and we're communicating with people uh, through a screen rather than inside of walls, that we wanted to take this opportunity to just talk about this idea that the church is so much more than just what we can do inside of these walls. And so it's been on our hearts to talk about this topic across our three churches. And we sat down and we said, why don't we just all talk about this across our three churches? And so last week we were blessed by Pastor Gary from North Shore Church in Terrace Bay, uh, preaching at the three different churches. This week is my turn. And next week is Pastor Meredith rounding off the service. And so this, this series is called Expanding Circles. And we'll be going through the book of Acts. And my task is to kind of bridge between the two different topics that we've got. And so I've got a bit of a swath of scripture to get through, uh, Acts 7 to 17. Uh, But before we get to that, I just wanted to introduce myself quick. If you're not from my church, uh, my name is John. I'm the senior pastor here in Marathon, Ontario. Uh, We moved up from down south uh, around uh, the Kitchener-Waterloo area. And one of the things that everyone was telling us about when they moved up here was... Uh, Good luck digging your house out during the winter because down south, we don't really know winter. We get like some snow and then it warms up a bit and it turns into slush and there's salt everywhere. We don't really get winter down south. We think that we do. But when I moved up here, I realized, you know what, we actually have like real winter. But it, it gets cold here, but it stays cold. So you get used to it. And anyone who's seen me in any capacity in wintertime, uh, you can instantly recognize me. I'm always wearing shorts. It's my thing. I wear boots because my wife will kill me if I don't, but I'm always wearing my shorts during the winter. I love it up here. Uh, we love the winter. We loved uh, how it's been up here. And like I said, the temperature dips, it sticks down there. It's great. So you get used to it. And then down south, where we came from, they had such a bad winter that it closed all the roads in town for a couple days. So who's laughing now, guys? But my name is John. Glad to meet you. Uh, If you haven't met me yet, uh, here I am. Nice to meet you. So going into the message here, uh, with Pastor Gary, we left off on how we were moving into these two characters called Philip and Stephen. And I'm going to focus a little bit on each one of them, but I've got a different, a, a different push with my message. And this, this concept of expanding circles, that it, it mirrors what Jesus says at the beginning of Acts to the disciples, when he says that he's going to be sending them out into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And that it's our heart to sit down and talk about these expanding circles of influence and ministry that happen in our lives when we're following the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to be following along in my message here, these kind of two concurrent stories that happen from Acts 7 to 17. And they parallel each other uh, in really strong ways. 
And also with each of these stories that we can find many things to inform our own stories, to inform our own experiences and what we're going through in the world today. So there's these two stories that we're going to follow along. And the first is of the body of believers in general and what's going on with them. And then the second set of stories is specifically what happens with this guy named Paul. And he's really important in the rest of the New Testament. He wrote most of it. So studying and understanding his story is a really important thing too. So first off, starting with the early church, that there was this this early missionary, this early church worker named Stephen. And what happens is that he, he gets into a a situation of conflict with the ruling council called the Sanhedrin. And, and he's arguing with them, and he's preaching at them, and he eventually calls them on this idea that they had missed what the Holy Spirit was doing in the world. That through Jesus, that God was bringing a new kingdom. He was bringing a new way of doing things, and that the Sanhedrin missed it. Not only did they miss it, but that historically, they had been consistently missing it, that they'd been pushing back against the movement and the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Sanhedrin, the ruling council, they wanted nothing to do with this. And so it drove them to a fit of rage. And they ended up taking Stephen and they ended up actually stoning him to death. And it's in this situation that they mentioned this guy named Saul. And we'll come back to him later. But what happens is that there's this persecution that breaks out against the church. That the ruling council, the religious council, they've decided, you know what, we've had enough with you guys, and we're going to try and stamp you out. So the disciples get scattered. That primarily at this point, they've been focused around Jerusalem. They've been focused around uh, meeting together in the temple courts and meeting together just in Jerusalem and in their homes and where they were used to doing things. And now that there's this persecution, now that there's this problem that comes their way, they get scattered out from everything that they're familiar with. They get scattered out from the places that they're used to living and worshiping and doing their thing. And they get sent out of Jerusalem and they get sent into a bunch of different areas of the world. And now Paul, who's Saul at the time, he doesn't start out in persecution. He is the persecution. Saul is the bad guy in this story right now. That when Stephen is stoned to death, that Acts pointedly records that the, the witnesses, they were laying their clothing down at the feet of a young man named Saul. And Saul, he's the bad guy here. He's the one that is set out to destroy the church. That all the problems that the church is having, that this persecution that's going on, that Paul is a big driving force here. And both of these circumstances, the way I think that they speak to our lives right now, because spoiler alert, Saul's story changes a little bit going on in Acts. So both of these stories, they boil down to our life. They boil down to our experiences like this. This sounds like a bad start. You know, maybe we've all been in one or both of these situations. And that if we're looking at the story of the believers, that we can, we can look at their lives, we can look at what they were going through at the time, and we can say, you know what, the circumstances don't really seem good. This isn't ideal. Would this be a mark now 
of what we'd call a successful church. Your church is doing really well that the government came in and they drove everyone out because they hated you. Would, the, would we call that a mark of a successful church? Now, I know, sidebar, that sounds a little bit about what's going on with the pandemic. It's a different motivation. I just want to speak to that. That's my heart here. But imagine it was like a straight up, honest to goodness, people coming in and trying to hurt you and kill you and drive you out of your homes because you're getting together as a church. That this, this doesn't sound like the mark of a successful church. It doesn't sound like the mark of a successful life and ministry and belief in God. That we aren't where we want to be. We aren't even where we think we should be. And that things are tough. And so a little bit of context here that to the Jews, to the people at the time, the Messiah was someone who was coming, who was going to restore the nation of Israel. That Israel was this country who was being uh, oppressed by the Romans. And that many Jews at the time were looking for the Messiah to come overthrow the Romans because the Jews thought the Romans were the real threat here. And they wanted to come and overthrow the Romans and put Israel back in its place. And when Jesus came, and we talked about this last month at my church, when Jesus came that he challenged this, that he showed the real enemy was death. And that the kingdom that God came to bring was more than just a physical nation on earth. So now, serving Jesus, that to these Jews, that they'd already had this perspective challenge that, you know what, the Messiah isn't coming just to set Israel up on its throne, that he's bringing his own kingdom. But that not only was serving Jesus meant that Israel wasn't being restored right then and there, but it also meant that they were being scattered out of Israel to begin with, that they were being sent to the Gentiles, and this was not an ideal circumstance for a Jew at the time. You know, how many times can we say in our lives, even now, that this way that I'm used to doing church, this way that I'm used to my faith growing and these experiences that I'm used to having, that they're not there and that it just doesn't feel ideal right now. Can you relate with that? But second, honing in on this picture of Paul, that through the story of Paul, I really hear and I see this idea that if, if I were God, if you were to ask me, you know, have a look through the whole planet and pick a guy that's going to do really well, I wouldn't have picked Paul. I wouldn't have picked the guy who started out wanting to murder believers. I wouldn't have picked the guy who was going synagogue to synagogue to get letters so that he could drag other believers off in chains. If there was ever an argument for this idea that, hey, you know, that guy there, he really shouldn't be leading or be in ministry or anything, it's Paul. But the truth is, is that Paul's effectiveness, that everything that he got done, and he'll back me up on this. I've read through his letters. He'll back me up on this. That Paul's effectiveness, it had nothing to do with him. It had nothing to do with his history. It had nothing to do with his education. It had nothing to do with his qualifications at all. That it had everything to do with the Holy Spirit in his life. And that's the point. Because, you know, both sets of people here, that they made this decision that they're like, I'm here, it's now, what am I going to do? And the fact is, is that there's one more character in both of these stories. 
And that's the Holy Spirit. And I want to read to you Acts 11, verse 21. And it says this. And this is talking about the expansion of the believers and the work that they're doing. The same thing applies to Paul. So Acts eleven twenty one says this. The Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. And so here's the big point. Is that, you know, with the believers, with Paul, that they didn't have the qualifications. They didn't have the place or the comforts of the past that they were used to. That in the, in the case of the believers, that they had been forced out of everywhere that they were comfortable with. In the case of Paul, that he's being pulled completely in the opposite direction of what he's used to doing. That in every way, they didn't have what it takes. They didn't have any of the marks that they thought were success. They didn't have any of the marks that they'd grown up with to say we're doing things right. But they had the Holy Spirit. That the Lord's hand was with them. And so, a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. You know, the Lord's hand took believers out of their homes, out of their comfort, out of their familiarity and their experiences and their bubbles, and he used them to draw thousands of people to the Lord. That in Acts early on, that Peter gives this speech after the day of Pentecost. And it says that thousands were drawn to the Lord at this point. And we tend to forget the Peter that we see in the Gospels, who's hot-headed and short-tempered and quick to speak and slow to think. I feel like Peter a lot sometimes. That I get into situations that I'm like, I don't know why I have any right to be standing here and preaching the Lord's gospel. That this is a holy thing. This is, this is a great thing to be able to do. What right do I have? What have I done to earn this or deserve this? But the fact is that it's nothing to do with me. It is everything to do with the Holy Spirit. The Lord's hand took Paul, a man who by all accounts had no right to the forgiveness that he was offered. And used him to greatly expand the life and the understanding of the early church. And we as believers, we still benefit every moment from the life of Paul. Because like I said, he went on, he wrote most of the New Testament. A lot of the letters that he wrote to the churches are the letters that we're reading. And so God took this guy who had no right to be where he was. And he used him to do great things. And so here's, here's my first big point, is that things don't look the same. That you're sitting at home, you're watching me on a TV screen, or on your phone, or on a tablet. And that's not how it used to be. That's not what we're all comfortable with. That's not what we all prefer. I would much rather have my church right now be full of people and preaching. But things don't look the same. Maybe it's been a while since you've set foot in a church. And that's a hard place to be. I'm not going to minimize that. That things may look bleak. Things may look difficult. Or maybe you're in this place of Paul where you just feel like that you see the world around you and you want to do something and you just don't feel good enough. The truth is, is that God's telling both of us, God's telling all of us 
that we have the Holy Spirit. And so we have everything that we need. And so God's challenge to all of us through this story in Acts, that his first challenge is that we all have a part to play now. That it's one thing that's been greatly on my heart as a pastor is the idea that church is not supposed to be the John show. It's not supposed to be where I get up and I do all the work. I heard a phrase once that they say churches can be like soccer games. It's 80,000 people watching 20 people work up a sweat. And it's my heart that everybody realizes their, their place to belong and to have something to do in the kingdom. You have a place to serve in the kingdom. You can make a difference right where you are. When the early disciples scattered, they didn't find themselves out of church. They didn't find themselves out of the body. They found themselves building dozens more churches. They found themselves expanding the body because the Holy Spirit was with them. The hand of the Lord was with them. And if you've heard me preach for any length of time, I love to challenge the people who have been in church for a while. And my challenge to to the mature Christians out there, and you know what, I'll be right here with you on this one, is that you guys have really lost a lot over the last year. That a lot of the things that you've grown up with, that maybe some of you have been going to church for longer than I've been breathing, that you guys lost a lot in this. But the Holy Spirit is with you. And so my challenge to, to the mature Christians here is that the church needs you to lead the way on this. That you can use your life and your experiences. You can use everything you've learned about God and the Holy Spirit and his grace and love and mercy for you to show the world, you know what, we've still got a job to do here. That we still have work and we still have a kingdom to build. Now, moving on in the story here through Acts, in both stories, there's this second point that I want to highlight. And this is where my heart really sits in ministry. And so the second point is this, that we look at the lives of the believers. We talked about how they went through persecution. We talked about how their lives were difficult, but they had the Holy Spirit. And so they had everything that they needed and that the body was exploding in growth under their ministry. Well, the thing is, is that the believers started getting sent outside of Israel. They started getting sent into foreign and, in their eyes, pagan lands. Now, there's a bunch of stories that, if you read again from Acts 7 to 17, there's a bunch of stories in in this section of amazing ways that the disciples are encountering uncomfortable people in uncomfortable scenarios. And so you have Philip who starts working and he gets sent out and he goes right to Samaria. And that's the title of my message is Samaria. And a little bit of context on this one is a lot of these foreign cultures, especially the Samaritans, the Jews hated them. They were like the wrong side of the tracks. And so the idea that God was not only sending people out of their homes, Not only sending people out of their comfort, but sending them into the bad area of town? Something's not right about that. And a little bit about myself is that I grew up in the bad area of town. 
I grew up, I came from London, Ontario, and I'm not going to name the street that I came from, but let's say when I was a kid, we knew that spot is a pretty dirty area. And I grew up there. I grew up surrounded by the alcoholics and the prostitutes and the drug dealers. I grew up in that Samaria. But the truth is, is that God took my difficult circumstances. He took the difficult things in my life and he used them for his good. And so my heart is for Samaria. My heart is for the people that we would look at and say, you know what? You're not the right kind of person that God is going for. But you know what? God took these people and he sent them there anyways. And so we've got Philip and he's working in Samaria that he meets an Ethiopian uh, official and that later on he finds himself moving up and down the Mediterranean coast. That we've got Peter, one of the original apostles, one of the original disciples with Jesus and he's staying with this tanner in Joppa. And then he goes and he visits a Roman centurion in Caesarea and these are both big no-no's that Peter actually later on, and we'll talk about this, Peter actually later on gets called out by the church in Jerusalem for having these encounters. That he wasn't supposed to be, now they don't talk to him about the, the tanner, but the fact is, is that a tanner, a person who worked with animal hides, would have been unclean all the time to the Jews. That a Roman centurion in Caesarea, not only was he a Gentile, not only was he a pagan, he was a person that was responsible for the oppression of Israel. But God's sending him to these people. There's a miraculous encounter that happens with this Roman centurion in Caesarea. Or even we have Barnabas who goes out to minister in this town called Antioch. And Antioch was the third largest town in the Roman Empire at the time. And God takes him and sends him there. You know, these weren't ideal mission fields to the early Jews. That these weren't the right people. This wasn't how you did connection with God. This wasn't how you did church. And that their experience with God, and tell me if this sounds familiar, their experience with God up until this point was tied to a place and a pattern. Tell me if you can relate with that. I can. I'm not even that old. I'm 36 going on 37. My beard is a little bit more gray than I'd like it to be. But in the grand scheme of things, I'm not even that old. And I even feel at many times that my experience with God, my faith, is often tied to a place and a pattern. And that was the big challenge for the believers and that God was taking them out of this place, out of that pattern, and sending them out into the world. And we see this exact same thing happen with Paul. That he goes in a couple of his letters and he highlights his his qualifications. He goes through and he says, you know, if anyone's got any right to brag about who they used to be, it's me. And Paul says, you know, I was a, a Jew of the Jews. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was a person who trained under the best rabbis. But God takes him out of his place, out of his pattern, and sends him off into the Gentiles. The one place where a Jew of his stature had no desire to be. Now we can talk about these God-fearing and righteous Jews having to, to put up with going to the wrong people and how they're doing different things that they used to. But with Paul, that this is a totally different issue. That Paul started off 
like I said before, as this, this murderous Jewish zealot, and he's trying to extinguish the church. And Acts 9 has this amazing experience we call the Damascus Road experience. And Paul spends a lot of time after this, this miraculous encounter with the Lord, where Jesus blinds him and then sends a believer to heal him. That Paul has this miraculous encounter with the Lord and everything changes. And so he becomes a missionary and he goes out and he's, he's visiting synagogues and he's arguing with the Jews, trying to show them. It's like this Jesus that we rejected, he is the Messiah. His kingdom is the real one. And then he starts going off on these missionary journeys to all these different towns. And you know, there's a key conversation that happens with both of these sets of people, with the early believers and with Paul. And it's a conversation we need to have now. And you can see it here. And this is in Acts 11, verses 15 to 18. And this is a context. And I said I was going to come back to this, where Peter gets called out by the early church for going and staying with the Gentiles, for ministering to the Gentiles. And he's explaining to them something. And it's right here, Acts 11, verses 15 to 18. And this is Peter speaking. And he says, he starts off, he says, As I began to speak... And he's talking about his experience with the Roman centurion and how he comes and he begins to teach them and witness to them and that the Holy Spirit comes down and fills them. And that the believers at the time are actually astonished that they see these other believers speaking in tongues and they see the Holy Spirit working through them and they're Gentiles. They are people who are outside of the Jewish place and the Jewish pattern. So 15 to 18, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. So notice these levels that Peter goes through. He says, I see what's going on with them. And I see it was the same kind of thing that happened with us when we started. But then he goes way back to Jesus and he goes back to the words of the Lord. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptize you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? So when they heard this, they had no further objection and they praised God saying, so then even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. You know, this is my second big point. The first big point is that the Holy Spirit is with us. His hand is over us and that we can see success in the world where we are right now. Even in difficult circumstances, especially in difficult circumstances. But my second big point is this, is that the believers and Paul, they were doing something absolutely essential to success, both for them and for us now. That faced with big changes, faced with hardships and persecutions, with radical life changes, stop me if I'm saying something that sounds familiar to you. They were really tempted to try and turn back and go back to the way it was. And so are we. That's our default. To have that thought of, you know, how do we get back to the way it was? And there's nothing wrong with that. The Holy Spirit moved in those times and he moved beautifully. Uh, I've heard so many amazing stories of things that the Holy Spirit has done in the past. We can't forget those times. 
And we see that in Peter. He looks back and he says, you know what? The Holy Spirit moved on us. But then what did he do? They asked themselves this question. And this is my second point. What is the Holy Spirit doing now? What is he doing now? Because as much as we have the Holy Spirit, as much as the Holy Spirit is all we need, he's not ours. We're his. And you would be amazed the difference between the two of those. That he's not ours. We're his. We belong to him. You know, the early church, Paul, they both desperately wanted to stay in step with the Spirit. That they wanted to be where he was. Even if it meant not being where they wanted to be. Not seeing what they wanted to see. That they wanted to see what the Holy Spirit was doing. They didn't want the Holy Spirit to do what they wanted. And there's a connection here I want you to understand. And if you go to my church, you've heard me talk about this a lot. You know that I'm really passionate about it. That the early church consistently saw two things. The first was they saw explosive growth. That they saw lots of people coming to the Lord. They saw people healed. They saw miracles. They saw signs and wonders. And the second was they saw a lot of trouble. That their lives were difficult. That they went through persecution. I joke that if I ever set up my ministry resume like, resume like Paul's, I wonder if I'd ever get hired anywhere. You know, highlights include uh, I've been whipped. I've been beaten. I've been driven out a couple towns. I've been in a shipwreck. I've been in a car accident once. That's about the worst. It's not a shipwreck. They saw trouble. They saw hardships. And they saw the hand of the Lord moving in amazing, amazing ways. You know, we see trouble and hardships, and I'm not minimizing that. That this is easily right now the most difficult time that our generation has ever faced. But if the Holy Spirit is with us, and if we're truly and fully and desperately wanting to stay beside him wherever he goes, whatever the cost, then you won't just see trouble. That you won't just see what's around you. That you'll also see opportunity. You'll see growth. You'll see God move in mighty ways. You'll find reasons to hope. You'll find reasons to have joy. That early on in Acts, uh, a couple of the believers were taken and they were whipped. They were ordered not to speak in the name of Jesus anymore. And they'd come out of a whipping. And it was a hard thing. I've never been whipped. So I'm just taking it on like good authority that it was a really difficult and painful thing to go through. And they came out of this rejoicing that they'd been found worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. Because they saw trouble and they saw the Holy Spirit. And so growth came out of that. You know, that's the real victory condition here. If we look in our hearts, if we look at, our, at ourselves and our emotions and our experiences, that for many of us, unconsciously, even myself, I'm going to throw myself under the bus here, is that we, our victory condition is that things can go back to normal. 
And again, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to relate with you. I'm going to feel your pain here. But that's our victory condition sometimes. But God's victory condition is that his name gets lifted high. That more people hear about him, more people see him, more people have an encounter with him, more people turn to him and his kingdom grows. And that needs to be our victory condition. And we get there with these two big beliefs. The first is that the Holy Spirit is with us now. And the second question is, what is the Holy Spirit doing now? Where is he now? What is he doing out in the world? And how can we come alongside that? And so will you join us in this journey? And I'm asking not just my church in Marathon, but I'm, again, so privileged to be able to speak to you in Terrace Bay and in Sault Ste. Marie. And I know that Pastor Meredith and Pastor Gary both echo my heart and my drive on this one. Is that will you join us on this journey right now? As, as we're figuring out what it is that the Holy Spirit's doing here and now in our circumstances. And we believe and we hope in this great growth and expansion that God has for his kingdom in the, in the north. And something we say a lot at our church is that hope in the Bible is way more than hope in the world. That when we say hope in a world sense, we go, you know, I really hope that they're going to have the kind of like cookie that I like in stock at the grocery store. It's this like, well, maybe perspective. But in the Bible, hope is a powerful driving force. It's a deep conviction that God is doing what he says he's doing and that we're going to place ourselves there even though we can't see it. So will you join us in our hope for the North? You know, maybe you've been at this for decades. Maybe you're one of those, those storied Christians that I talked about earlier that you've been going to church for longer than I've been alive and you've seen so many things and this is a difficult time for you. Or maybe it's not and you're doing wonderfully and that's amazing. But maybe you're in that place where you've been at this for a really long time. Or maybe you're new at this, that you haven't been a believer for that long and you don't really feel qualified. That You know, God doesn't know the life you came from. Almost sounds like Paul there. If you follow your own thoughts, it gets to that point. God doesn't know. Well, yeah, of course he knows. And he called you nonetheless that he saw you and everything that you were. And he said, okay, now I've got a job for you too. You know, maybe you've never given any thought at all to this. That this is one of the first services you've ever caught. And it's great that you can sit at home and tune in online because if the pastor says anything you don't like, you can just turn them off and go watch funny cat videos on YouTube. It's a great experience. And maybe you've never given any thought to this at all. So this idea of a relationship with God where he's out there and he loves you and he's got something meaningful and purposeful for, for you and your life and your heart. Wherever you're at, will you join with us today in this journey? Let's pray. God, thank you for today and for this word. Thank you for all the chances that you've given us, God. And we thank you for all the amazing things that you've done in the past in each one of our lives. All the amazing experiences that we've had. All the amazing ways we've seen you move. 
God, we're so thankful for those things. But God, we know that you're doing things now too. And so open our eyes and let us see the harvest around us. Open our eyes and let us understand all the ways that you're working in people and places that don't make sense to us. And God, we just want to, we desperately want to see this, this experience like what Peter had where he was sent to uh, a Roman centurion's house and he saw the Holy Spirit fall in power. The experiences of the other early believers where they were sent out of their homes, but they just started ministering right where they were. God, we just desperately want to see your kingdom move. We want to see your name be lifted up high. And so I just pray for each person who can hear my voice, whether you're watching us at the same time with everybody else, or you're tuning in online later after the fact, whatever. We just pray that you would just move in our hearts, move in our homes, that you drive us to do something new, that you drive us to tell someone else, that you drive us to lift your name up high. God, I want to pray for those people who don't know you, who don't have a relationship with you. God, I just pray that they could feel you in this moment right now, that they could feel you in their hearts and their homes, that they could just feel your hope and your purpose and your joy over them and your forgiveness for them. And we pray you draw them in, God. Give them the courage to speak out. Give them the courage to reach out to somebody else and say, I've made this choice. I'm in. And God, wherever we're at, we know that you use us, even in the story of Paul, that you take a man who was a murderer and desperately hated the church and you use him for your glory, God. We know if you can use him, then you can use us. And so God, thank you for using us. Thank you for your hand being over us and guiding us and directing us. Because we know that through you, we can do great things for you. In your name we pray. Amen.